Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church family. Good to see everybody here this morning. Hope you guys are doing well. And uh, for those of you that are with us, uh, joining us online this morning, I welcome you as well. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. I was out last week and just wanted to uh, before I give you a quick update on Miranda, I just want to let you know um, this is the time that if we were passing the plate in the uh, non-COVID era, uh, we would be uh, you know, passing the plate and giving it out, and so you can give your tithes and offerings. You can still do that as you exit this morning. If you're at home and you feel led to give, you can go to, as you see on the screen, homesavenue.com forward slash give, and you can do that there as well. Uh, anybody in here that may need a scripture journal, just let us know. We still have a few of those left uh, as we're journeying through the book of Leviticus. Um, but I want to tell you, as before we get into the message, thank you so much for uh, the calls, texts, emails, gift cards, the food. You guys have been such an incredible blessing uh, to our family, and um, I, I'm very overwhelmed by the amount of love from our people. And so, um, Walter said that a few weeks ago, and, and I just say that yes as well. You, you guys love your pastors well, and um, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. Uh, Miranda's doing well. She's recovering. Uh, she's recovering slowly, but um, she's been able to get out of the house a good bit this week with me. We drove around and all of that. Uh, one day she just said, I want to go downtown. I was like, you're not walking downtown. She said, no, I just want to drive around. <laughs> and so we went out and drove around and, and uh, whatnot. So uh, just please continue to pray for her. She heals. She's home right now resting. And um, I brought the kids with me and it was good for them to get out of the house because mama needed a break. Um, so, uh, y'all just continue to pray for her, please, but, uh, she's doing well, and I just want to tell you thank you so much, um, for doing that for us over the last week and a half or so. Um, you know, this is typically the time, uh, where we would normally stand together to reading the scriptures, and, uh, as you know, as we've been journeying through the book of Leviticus, uh, there's some pretty lengthy passages in here, so we're still going to honor God's word, we're still going to proclaim it this morning, but I'm going to let you guys sit as we read through this, and I'm actually going to do something slightly different than what we normally do. I'm not going to read the entire passage beforehand, I'm just going to read it as we go, um, and there's a specific reason for that, um, that you'll see as we go through, but... I've entitled the message today, uh, The Necessity of Atonement for Sin. The Necessity of Atonement uh, for Sin. And if you're uh, first time being here in a little while, or if you're joining us online, it's the first time you've ever been a part of this gathering with us. We have been journeying through the book of Leviticus for the last few weeks. This is week four. And uh, in doing this, we, we've entitled this sermon series, Holy God, Holy People. And uh, we are looking at the fact that our God is holy and he calls his people to be holy. And in the opening pages of this uh, book of Leviticus, what we've seen so far is that God is giving directions via Moses to the people of Israel of how they are to practice these specific offerings to God. And over the past two weeks, you, you've heard us cover three of those five. You've heard us cover the burnt offering two weeks ago. You've heard the peace um, offering and the grain offering. And today we're specifically looking at the sin offering. That's why it's entitled The Necessity of Atonement for Sin. And one of the big things that um, I'm just so thankful for is just how God lays things out in his word. You know, reading through an Old Testament book, it may be difficult for us at times. I, if you're like an average Christian, most people like to camp out in the New Testament. Uh, it just because it seems like it's more applicable and things. But there's so much rich to take on and apply uh, from the Old Testament. And I think we're going to specifically see that as we've seen over these last couple of weeks. We're going to see that with this specific offering uh, today. And so 
For review, I asked this question a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to have it there to be fresh on your minds, to be thinking about again, but um, why is it that God would have a sacrificial system uh, for these offerings? Well, it's a way for the people uh, to come before God and this, this offering of repentance for these sins, or this, as we talked about a few weeks ago, this devotion to God for coming before the Lord. Now, specifically for the sin offering that we're looking at today, uh, Kenneth Matthews in his commentary on Leviticus says this, The sin offering was God's gracious provision for the guilty person by which his or her sin was purged and by which he or she received divine forgiveness. It's a good way of putting it. You know, sin is a word that, that most people don't like to talk about. Sin is a difficult thing that, that uh, if we're being honest, a lot of churches don't want to talk about. Because sin can, uh, if you're talking about sin and the necessity of repentance for sin, it, it's not the cool thing to do and, and, and it makes people want to shy away. And man, you could lose people for that. Well, the Bible teaches on it and so we're going to preach on it. And, and we have to understand that we are sinners in need of God's powerful, loving grace and His mercy. And the need for having Christ Jesus come and take our place on the cross. Now let's think about this for a moment. For us, don't answer out loud, but just start to think about this. How is it that you deal with sin in your own life? How is it that you handle sin in your own life? How do you respond to sin? What do you do when you sin? Do you just sit there and say, oh, I messed up again? Or do you come before God and cry out, Father, I have sinned against you. You know, a lot of the sins that we're going to see mentioned here today during this offering, they're referred to as unintentional sins. And I'll get into what that means in just a moment. But think about that, an unintentional sin. Would it be something like uh, that you intentionally set out to go and do something against God that you want to specifically do? It's a sin. I want to partake in this. I don't care what God says. No, that's not intentional. That's, you have a plan, and you're going to carry it out. Maybe an example of an unintentional sin. Has anybody ever, and I'm pretty sure if you have driven a car, you've been in this situation Anybody ever been driving in a car and somebody just cuts you off and you just get really angry real quick? Let's be real. Everybody's shaking their head. Yeah, that's the reality. That's an unintentional sin. You don't plan when you get in your car. The moment you start to drive, you're saying, I'm, the, I'm just going to watch every single person that stands out in front of me and I'm just going to say some really bad stuff about them. Maybe even some bad words slip out. Come on now, saints. We can be honest. There's times when stuff like that has happened. Okay. And you got those moments, you're like, man, but you didn't set out to do that. Those are unintentional things that come out. I know it's a silly example, but it's something to be thinking about as we look at these today. The reality, though, is this, and why it's so important for us to see this about this atonement for sin. If we ignore sin, we're in a world of hurt. Because sin can destroy. Sin will destroy. Sin must be repented of. Sin must be something that we do a 180 and flee from. We must repent of it, confess it to God, and run, be done with it. Flee from it. And thank God, even though we are still sinners, every day we still battle sin, thank God if you are in Christ, you are covered by the blood of Jesus. And something that we've seen already so much through Leviticus over these last few weeks is the necessity of blood being shed for the sacrifice. And Christ Jesus being that ultimate sacrifice. We'll get into more of that in a moment as well. And so looking at this passage today, all people sin. Thus, they are all guilty before God, but God still provides the way to atone for sin. And so I want to do something that I did a couple weeks ago. I'm going to give you one overarching point. There's going to be some sub things that I talk about, but the one overarching point is this. Sin separates man from God and must be atoned for. 
Sin separates man from God and must be atoned for. Now, the breaking down of this, looking at Leviticus chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we're going to read. And we're going to see specifically there's a, a few things that are, that are happening here with these sin offerings. And the first is this, and this, this sub-point's not on the screen, so you just have to listen to this, but it's the sin of the priest. And this is in, in verses 1 through 12. Let's look at this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any of them. Let's stop there for a second. So these first two verses, we can see specifically in verses 1 and 2 that God again speaks to Moses and he points to the fact that the people may unintentionally sin, as I said. Now, I, I mentioned to you that I would get back to the unintentional in just a moment. It, a way of defining that is the sin from error. It's not planned. It's not premeditated, as I said. And we all know that we're sinners, and regardless of how we try, each of us sin daily. You know, I, I mentioned the fact of the, with the car. We can all give examples of probably even this morning where we have sinned. And, we, and we, we must continually confess that to God. Remember, in the model prayer, as Jesus is telling the disciples, when they say, teach us to pray, and he's telling us what to do, he's telling us to what? Bring honor and glory to God first, crying out to him as we pray to him. And then we go, and as we're praying through it, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, we are justified. We are saved from our sin because of what Jesus has done. But Lord, we are still sinners and we still mess up. And Lord, we repent of those things to you daily in our communion with you, in our time with you. Now we're going to see some examples of unintentional sins that are mentioned as we get into chapter 5 in just a moment. So make note of that. But we'll come back to that. The biggest thing that we need to understand as a takeaway is that sin is inevitable. It's going to happen. We are in a sinful world. We are sinful people covered by the blood of Jesus and saved by him for those of us that are in Christ. But each of us battles it daily and the people of Israel were no different. No different. Every single person since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 battles sin and will battle sin daily until Christ Jesus returns or we're called home. That's the reality of it. With that said, even though we all still sin, God's standard is still holiness. Although we still sin, God's standard is still holiness and we are guilty before God and we need to be atoned for our sin. None of us are perfect. None of us are 100% perfect people. Only Christ Jesus was who walked on this earth and is because he is still alive at the right hand of the Father. And no matter how we try, we alone cannot earn God's favor. No man can earn God's favor by doing good works or doing good things. We must have our sin atoned for. That is the purpose of why Jesus came. You hear Pastor Walter and I reference this verse all the time. It's a powerful verse. It sums up the gospel so beautifully. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Can you put that on the screen? For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Look at verse 3. If it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer the sin that he has committed, a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. You see, God addresses something very important here in verse 3. It's the first of these examples of these unintentional sins that are committed, and this one is about the priest. 
This is about the priest. This is in regard to the sin of the anointed priest who has sinned. And the reason that this is such a big deal, church, is because it brought guilt on the people. The people that the priest was there to minister to, to be a mediator for between them and God. We must recall that the priests, they served in that intermediate role between God and the people. It was very, very important. And God is telling them here, he is saying that if the priest failed in his role, God put him in due to, 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 be, to have this oversight. The people would all suffer the consequences of that sin. It's very important to note. Because of this sin, the priest offers, as it says, a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. Mark Rooker in his commentary says this, In performing this rite, the high priest was acknowledging his offense, and it is safe to regard his action to remove the effects of his sin as equivalent to repentance. And so this, this act is taking place to come forward and, and offer this sacrifice as a, as a time of repentance before God for the sin of the high priest. Look at verse 4. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. Now we see the process taking place now here, this ritual, and it's very similar to what we've seen over the last several weeks. It's this unblemished bull. And remember, that is this most valuable animal. That was a, that was a high cost, this bull, to, be, to come up and be sacrificed. And there would be no defects in the animal. It was without blemish. There again, what is that foreshadowed to? The perfect, spotless Lamb of God, Christ Jesus, that would be sacrificed for the atonement of sin on the cross. And again, here in verse 4, the laying of the hand, it was there to represent the hand being there to say, I am the one that has sinned against you, Father. Here's my hand to represent this as the sacrifice that is taking place. And the animal would be slain there before the blood would specifically be used that we see in verse 5. But again, the importance of the bloodshed is so crucial for the atonement of the sin. Look at 5 and 6. <clears throat> and the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it to the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Now, this high altar is located there on the outer court, but the tent of meeting, it had the two places that were very, very holy, the holy place and the most holy, the holy of holies, as it's commonly referred to. And this was, this was like no, no ordinary Israelite person coming and doing an offering. No, you see, because of this, this is the high priest, and he has to go into the tent. Why? Well, there needed to be cleansing inside the tent so that the duties could still be carried out. This is the priest that goes into the tent. And remember, inside the tent, what is going on in the Most Holy of Holies? That is to represent where the Lord's presence was. Presence was. The only thing inside of the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. This is a very important place. It is a holy place. And this sinful priest must go in there to atone for his sin. That is why the sprinkling of the blood must take place. And you remember, when the priest would go in, it was usually only one day a year on the Day of Atonement to do that for the sins of the people. And we see here that he dips his finger in the blood and he sprinkles part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Now, 
I mentioned to you the, the fact of the Holy of Holies. And if you want to jot this down in your notes, I'm not going to put it on the screen. We, don't, we won't have time to really look at it. But if you want to look at the process for the veil and the, and the writings for it, look at Exodus chapter 26, verses 31 through 37. You can just jot that down to go back and do some homework. I'm giving you homework. Exodus 26, 31 through 37. But we also see here this reference of the number seven. He says, sprinkle it seven times. And that number seven, as we know in the Bible, is to represent the, what people come to say as, as God's number, the number of completion, this wholeness. So he's to do it seven times before the Lord. And Mark Rooker again says, by sprinkling seven times, the priest symbolically showed that the removal of the sin was complete and that the tent was restored to its status of holiness. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're going to see this sevenfold process of the sprinkling as we continue on. So just make note of that. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> and put some blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of, uh, at the base of the altar, excuse me, I got tied up there, burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. See, this altar of fragrant incense was located inside the tent, and this is to not be confused with this larger high altar that was in the courtyard. But both of these items mentioned in verse 6 and verse 7, they are very close in proximity to each other, but they're only separated by the veil. Now, I've said the veil a couple of times. What is the veil? Remember, back when we were just last month going through the Behold Good News series, and that one week where we focused in on good news the week that we talked about the cross and Jesus dying on the cross and that being good news for all people. Remember, the moment that Jesus says, it is finished, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What happens in the temple? The veil is torn in two. There's no need for a high priest to go in anymore to atone for the sins of the people on a day of atonement because Jesus Christ, once and for all, has finished it. He has atoned for the sins of the people. That veil is the veil that we're talking about here. And so this veil is there, and it's there to represent the separation between the outside and the presence of the Lord. Now, let's read through together verses 8 through 11. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and the loins and the long lobe of the liver, he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox a sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull, continue in 12, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, and shall burn it up on the fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. We see the continuation, this description of what happens here in this ritual. You see, this priest would go and complete this ritual in the tent to atone for the sins, and then he would go back to the altar where the animal was slain. And as we saw in verse 7, the rest of the blood is drained out. That shedding of blood for sin. The bull would then be butchered and carefully separated apart the fat from the organs. And then as we saw in verse 12, the remaining parts are removed from the camp to the ash sheep because it was a clean place outside the camp. In this clean place outside the camp, it needed to be there because it was a holy offering to God. So to summarize that, that we just looked through, to summarize all of that, 
the importance of this section. We must see the importance of every step being taken to remove sin from God's presence. The priest taking the blood inside the tent before applying the blood to the high altar shows how the the priest's sin was that like a cancer. It was polluting the intercessory work for the people. The intercessory work could not take place because of that sin. And so the priest had to go in to atone for that. Therefore, as I said, the blood being shed. And this is to happen before it could continue this mediation work at the altar. Now I want to ask you a question, church. For those of you in Christ, aren't you thankful that you have a great high priest who has paid the ultimate price and atoned for your sin so you don't have to worry about the mediation process not getting messed up because of sin? Christ Jesus has paid the price and He sits at the right hand of the Father and He intercedes on our behalf to God the Father because of His finished work, His defeat of sin and death, and His resurrection from the grave. So as I said, we've continually been seeing this. Sin separates man from God and must be atoned for. Let's continue and look at the sin of the congregation. Verses 13 through 21. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt, when the sin which they had committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. So we see back there with looking at verse 13. I wanted to write it, read them together. But looking at verse 13, we see this section of how the sin not only affects individuals, but it can also affect an entire congregation. It says there that they realize their guilt. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they actually felt guilt for their sins. However, it became clear to them they realized what they had done, and they realized that they were guilty before the holy God, and their sin needed to be atoned for. I want to make note of this, and you can jot this down in your notes too. Go back and read this too. 2 Kings chapter 22 and chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter 22 and chapter 23. Because here's an example of something like this, where it becomes recognized of how it affects the large group of people, the congregation. You see, in that passage, King Josiah of Judah, he reads from the book of the law that was found and discovered in the ruins of Jerusalem's temple. And in doing so, he realizes that the previous kings and leaders that were in place, they failed to lead the people to follow God. They failed to do what they were called to do. And because of this, the entire nation suffered and would continue to until there was a repentance that took place. And so they realize it once the Word of God is read. I just want to point out something about that. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is powerful. It is God's Word for us. It is God's way of speaking to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. God's Word is powerful. And it brings to light sin. God's Word is powerful and it brings to light sin. So we must be remembering that. As you go to open your Bible and to study the Word of God and to spend time with God the Father, and you cry out to Him and say, Lord, I want to come before You. I want to hear from You. Reveal Yourself to me through Your Word. You better believe and you better be ready to take on what that means. Because yes, you're going to have time of communion with God. You're going to be hearing from Him. You're going to see what He wants. You're going to see applicable points to your life. But more than likely, 
as those applicable points are being shown, sin is going to be revealed. And we must repent of it the moment the Holy Spirit brings it to our attention. 14 tells us that the sin was made known and the people would go and they would offer the bull again. The bull would be offered from the herd for their sin offering, bringing it to the front of the tent of meeting to follow just like we saw with the priest. Now look at 15. 15 says, And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. I just want to point this out. I think it's so beautiful. The elders of the congregation came before the Lord, and all of them there, they laid their hands on the head of the bull. A beautiful picture of those elders that led the people coming together to say, this is to represent our people. There's a lot of beauty in that. There's a lot of sermons in that. We'll cover that in the future, I promise. Beautiful stuff there. Look at 16 through 20. I want to read them all together. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting. You're going to see some very similar things that we just covered a moment ago. Finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all of its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus shall he do with the bull as he did with the bull of the sin offering. So shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them and they shall be forgiven. 21. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. We see here this ritual for the sin offering is the same as we've seen with the priest. And we see specifically there in verse 20 that by doing it, the priest make atonement for them and they are forgiven. They are forgiven. Again, bloodshed happens to atone for the sin. This act of repentance before God, this blood has been shed for them and they are forgiven. Again, let me repeat it because it needs to be repeated over and over and over again. Christ Jesus' blood once and for all was shed on the cross at Calvary to atone for our sin. Thank you. Amen. Thank God for that. We've seen how these things are done to make atonement for the people. And Christ Jesus ultimately is that final atonement. Continuing on, again, sin separates man from God and must be atoned for. Look at this real quickly. The sin of a community leader, or a leader in the community. Verses 22 through 26. And when a leader sins, doing unintentionally any of all the things that the commandments of the Lord, his God, uh, ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hands on the head of the goat and kill it on the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord and the sin offering. 22 and 23 points to this fact that this political or community leader is offering this slightly different form of, of the priest to the congregation. And, and the reason for that is it's, it's a male goat here. Now, there's a little bit of a difference. Brian, why is there a male goat compared to a bull? Well, you've got to look at the fact that the first one that we covered was this high, high priest sin. It's the congregation of God's people. And then this is just a community leader. It's still sin. It still needs to be atoned for. But this is God's people here. 
And this is the high priest. Those things are very, very, very serious matters of which they need to be atoned for. But here again, this is still sin that needs to be atoned for. 24 told us that there was the laying of the hands again. That was very important and it needed to be done to represent this is the person that has committed the sin against God. It needs to be atoned for. Now look at 25. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. You see, here we see that the priest does not go into the tent and sprinkle it like he did in the previous two that were mentioned. And the reason for this is, as I said, it's still sin, but it's not necessarily as serious as one of like the high priest. And then 26, In all of its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. Beautiful again. Following it the way it's laid out, as God has called for it, atonement for sin has been made, and he is forgiven. Sin separates man from God, and it must be atoned for. Let's continue looking at the sin of the common person or the individual, 27 through 35. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he's commanded and committed has made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. Let's stop there for a moment. See, the common man or common woman are addressed here in this section by bringing of a female goat or a lamb as their sin. And again, it's not necessarily a bull, but it's still something that needs to be brought before God. See, again, the high priest, very important person, the mediator between man and God there, the one that goes in on the Day of Atonement to atone for the sin, there needs to be a bull there for that. But God says here, this can be allowed. Now read with me through 29 through 35 again. I'll read 29 again. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with its finger and put it on the horns of the altar, a burnt offering, and pour out all of the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove, as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Again, without blemish. And lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for the sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar, a burnt offering, and pour out all of the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven." This process is the same as that of the community leader. And we see it's a, it, it lays out these requirements almost very much similar, almost verbatim. But the Lord, again, doesn't necessarily require a bull or something like that. He can require one of these other items that have been mentioned. But we see here something important that we need to point out. 
Every man and woman and child, every person has sinned. Every person has sinned against God. Every single one. During the time of Israel, during the time of now, any person moving forward until the day of Christ's return. And it must be atoned for. Sin separates man from God and must be atoned for. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to understand that the sin of the priest is to be held more severe in this place, as we talked about before God. And the reason for that, I want to point this out. I think it's very important to point it out. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I know here that I'm not a high priest. Pastor Walter's not a high priest. We're not in the Old Testament system. And I know it doesn't necessarily look like it applies, but there's something very important to point out here. The reason that God held it so importantly, incredibly important, I know I'm saying that over and over, but so important is because this high priest had to go and make this, make this right before God. He had to clean it to, to make atonement for his sin. And, and any person that is in any type of a pastoral role or anything like that, there is, it's held with greater strictness. God holds it very, very high. And we are to be judged, judged with greater strictness. And it affects those of whom he ministers to. Remember, back when we were talking about the high priest, the high priest that they sinned, it brought what? Guilt upon the people. It affects those that they're over. And it also gives a bad testimony. I'm thinking about this in the applicable point, not only for ministers today, but I would even say for the church. I know that Paul's talking here and he's, and he's addressing this here in 1 Timothy 3.7. He says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. He's given those qualifications for an overseer. It's very important that he has this good reputation with outsiders. Very, very important. And the same is true, I would say, for all Christians as well. I'm not saying that all Christians fall into the qualification for elders. I'm just saying living a godly life, displaying that so that outsiders can see who we represent. And then lastly, the sin of the poor. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. If anyone sins in that he hears a public uh, adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or to a person touches an unclean thing, whether the carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of an unclean livestock, or a carcass of an unclean swarming thing, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, verse 3, or if he touches human uncleanliness, or whatever sort of uncleanliness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt of these. Let's stop there. I told you at the beginning that there were going to be some examples for us when we got into chapter 5. Here's some of those examples. We saw in verse 1, withholding evidence, yet he does not speak. It's this failure to give testimony. The consequence, he's guilty. Touching of an unclean animal in verse 2. It was very clear from God's word. You can go back and read through the Old Testament. You're not supposed to do it. Consequence, guilty. Touching an unclean human. Consequence, guilty. Taking an improper oath. Consequence, 
guilty. The reality is that these are just some of the examples of unintentional things, but no matter what, we can point to again, sin makes us guilty before God. By seeing these play out before us, we see this twofold nature of, of biblical religion and what we see in the Ten Commandments. One's personal relationship with God and one's relationship with others in some of these examples that we've just read. Either way, when we do these things, it still brings sin into our lives and we sin against God. Verses 5 and 6. I'm almost done. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord at his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. I want to stop there for one second. Look at verse 5. He said there, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed. There's a necessity there. Repentance, confession of our sin. Verse 7. But if he cannot afford a lamb, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest and shall offer first one for the sin offering, and he shall wring its head from its neck, and he shall not sever it completely. You see there in verse 7, it talked about how we see what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Even those who could not necessarily afford these, these bigger type offerings, they could still provide something to atone for their sin. We see there in verse 7 that it talks about the two birds, the two turtle doves, two pigeons. One was for a sin offering to purge that sin, but then the other, a burnt offering. And remember from the burnt offering, this time of coming before the Lord and saying, I am devoted to to you. A sin offering, a burnt offering, a time to purge the sin, a time to cry out in devotion to God. What I think is cool to see about that is when we come across things in the Bible, especially as we're going through the Old Testament, we're reminded of things that we know we see in the New Testament. If you remember, we didn't necessarily cover it during Christmas, but I made reference to Simeon when Mary and Joseph went to present Jesus into the temple. And it said there that they presented, what, two turtle doves, pigeons, these two birds. Mary and Joseph didn't necessarily have a lot, but they were still able to provide something. And I just think it's, it's cool to see that we can point back and forth to something there from the old and the new. Look at verses 8 through 10. He shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer first the one for a sin offering, and he shall wring its head from its neck, but he shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out. At the base of the altar it is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven." The ritual is there. It's laid out the same way. Again, it's done to show atonement for sin, and they are forgiven. Verse 12 says, And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it, of it as its memorial portion and burn it on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin of which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven, and the remainder shall be for the priest and for the grain offering. 
The priest would take this handful of, of what was being offered there and burn it as it was part of the sin offering. And then once the priest had made atonement, the person was forgiven and the remainder would be left there for the priest. Now, sum all this up. The beauty is that God accepted an offering for sin regardless of what the person's status was. The person could still come before God and offer something to atone for their sin. He would take whatever could be brought as long as it was done the right way with the right motives to follow what God had laid out. God is gracious to forgive those who come with repentant hearts. So my question for us is, what about us today? I look around this room, I know every person in this room. I don't know who's watching online, but I also don't know what's going on in each of our hearts, in each of our lives, with, with our walk with Christ. Or if, if you're here and you don't know Christ, my question to you is, has your sin been made atoned for, and do you realize it? Because the answer is yes. Jesus has paid the price. Do you realize it? Do you know it? Because you know him as your Lord and your Savior. Have you confessed to him and repented to him of what your sin is that separates you from him and cried out to him to save your soul? If you haven't, you can do it today. If you're watching online and, and you don't have the opportunity, obviously, to physically be here, you can reach out to us at homesavenue.com forward slash contact. And the same is true for anybody in here that doesn't necessarily feel comfortable coming up and talking about it today. If there's something you want to do, you can reach out there. You can call Pastor Walter or I. You can call one of your deacons. Let us know what you have going on in your life and you need prayer for, you need guidance with. We are here for you. Especially if you're a follower of Christ. If you're walking in intentional sin, you need to repent of that. You need to flee from it. Because if you're continually walking in that, you're being blatantly disobedient to God and that is not a good place to be. You must confess it before the Lord. Repent of it and flee from it. And if you don't know Christ, today could be the day of salvation for you where you come to know the one who paid it all in the place of all mankind for the sin of the world taking on God's wrath. And church family, one of the things that we have done, um, you know, kind of quarterly, we're going to start to do a little bit more frequently is giving and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do that in just a few moments. But before we do that, I want to have a moment for us to truly stop and reflect on what we've heard today. I know you've heard a lot of verses being read and all of that. But I hope you saw the main point is that sin separates man from God and it must be atoned for. And Christ Jesus has paid the price. So my question is, do you know him as your Lord and Savior? And if you do, but you have something that you have that's standing in the way that needs to be repented of, repent of it. Flee from it. So let's stop for a moment. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord, God, what is it that you're saying to me from this today? How do you want me to proceed? And then we'll move forward. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you now. 
Lord, I know we've, we've heard a, a weighty passage today, Lord, of, of all of these descriptions of these sin offerings, Lord, that, that you have laid out in your word for the people of Israel, Lord, but there are very applicable points for us today. Lord, our sin separates us from you. And for myself and anyone else in the sound of my voice here in person or online that are listening right now that know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, we know that you have paid the price for us and that you have atoned for our sin because of your shed blood on the cross of Calvary taking on God's wrath in our place and our sin that separated us from you. You took the place so that we wouldn't have to face God's wrath. Wow. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, we know that. But Lord, we're all still sinners. Well, we all still know that every day we battle the sin that's in our life. And it's real. And it needs to be repented of. It needs to be confessed. So Lord, I pray that each of us, Lord, that we can all stop and evaluate and say, what sin do I have in my life? Am I consistently re repenting of it, fleeing from it? Or am I being intentional rather than unintentional in, in pursuing sin? Lord, I, I, I boldly ask, God, that if there is anybody that is boldly, uh, blatantly pursuing sin over pursuing holiness, God, that you would convict them of that and draw them to repentance. Father, for the one that maybe listening right now that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, but maybe your Holy Spirit, you are drawing near, Lord, and you, you are working in them right now, Lord. I pray that they would repent of their sin. Lord, they would confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they would believe in their heart, God, that you defeated the grave and resurrected. Christ Jesus has ascended to your right hand, interceding on behalf of the saints until the day you say, go back and get them. Lord, I just pray that in your people right now, and for those that maybe don't know you right now, Lord, I pray, God, that we would be obedient, and as you call, we would surrender and draw near. As we move into this time of the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray, Lord, that each of us would evaluate ourselves before partaking this very important, beautiful ordinance that you've given to us. Have your way, Lord. We love you and we bless you in Christ's strong name we pray. Amen.